Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. But it's not Sweden that I'm actually talking about today. I have a very good friend of mine that is on the line with me now. George, you still there? Yes, I'm here. Good afternoon, Dr. Eugene. Hey, it is so good to be together with you and talk with you. Um, I just... I, I have been connected with your ministry for a while, and I enjoy every single chance that I get uh, to call you and talk to you and interview you, and uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be with you again. We love uh, your heart and all that BTJ does around the world, advancing the kingdom. It's an exciting time. Amen. Hey, uh, I just want to give a shout out to CMM uh, School of Theology, just because you guys have been such an amazing uh, blessing to me. I just uh, did a graduation ceremony with you guys a couple weeks ago, uh, or actually just a little over a week and a half ago, um, where uh, I went through your school for about a year, which was a a wonderful experience. Um, I wrote a dissertation, and you and uh, your other partners there at the ministry went through the dissertation and it was a it was a really great process I really enjoy it and would love to just ask you to share a little bit about the about the school that you guys offer for people that are in ministry and want to further their education in God's word sure happy to you know um, it's all about um, pointing everyone to Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior And we know that we all need to grow in our foundations of the Word, led by the Holy Spirit. And when we first got into uh, considering setting up this school, you know, in 2006 and 2007, we were already so busy in just doing missions work, working with our indigenous missionaries now in 70 countries. And so when our friends asked me to to consider starting a school, I said, no way, you're crazy. We, we don't have time for that. We don't know anything about it. I barely got through kindergarten, <laughs> loaded education. And uh, they they persisted. And after a couple of years, I, I relented and I said, okay, but you'll have to show us how to do it. So they were in missionaries with uh, Wycliffe Bible translators. Dr. Judy Laidley, I give her um, a lot of uh, the credit for persisting in getting us started, and she really helped us, and I had such a great heart for missions herself, and she just continued to want us to spread the gospel and um, to the nations through our missionaries, and we did it at first for the benefit of our missionaries in many nations, but then people locally here in the U.S. began to hear about it, said, can I do that? And I said, well, I hadn't thought about that. And so then we opened it up, and then it just continues to grow. So now we're entering our 14th year of offering affordable Christian accredited degrees. And 
you know, we know with this COVID season, it's been a big adjustment for many, many ministries to adapt to uh, meetings online, video conferencing, using Zoom or other um, platforms. But it wasn't that big of an adjustment for us because for over 10 years, we've done all our classes online globally anyway. And it's such a, um, a thrill to uh, experience the diversity of God through the different cultures and people groups, bringing people together that share that hunger for the Lord, the hunger for the living word, and to really see in lives transformed in order to help do our part to fulfill the Great Commission. So it's continued to grow. We now have uh, schools, and of course, based in, the, in America, but we have Spanish classes based out of Quito, Ecuador, with our good friends Gustavo and uh, Andrea Cadena. I think they've had you on to their groups also down there uh, in Spanish. And then we have uh, Prince and Love Nwigwi out of Canada, who are originally from Nigeria, and they've set up a school in Western Canada, in Alberta province. And we have uh, 90 graduates next month in Cuba uh, under Dr. Asmani Sosa. And there's four campuses in Cuba where they meet for several days each month uh, for just intensive study, fasting, praying, enjoying fellowship with each Cuba. other. Cuba, Cuba. How, how does is that is that legal, or are you guys doing this underground? Well, it's amazing the favor the Lord has given us there. It is established. It is recognized, and because um, you know we're interdenominational, um, Osmani has people from all the major denominations, many independent churches, and it's. Uh, was quickly recognized this is now into their third graduating class, although it takes them about two years to what we do in most other countries in one year uh, because of the harsh conditions and the lack of Internet. They have to meet in person. Uh, the data plans for Wi-Fi are very expensive there, so it forces them to meet in person, which is, is wonderful. But it's become recognized as one of the, uh, Osmani would say, the top uh, seminary in Cuba. So it's just God's grace and favor and then we have a new school in Thailand based in Chiang Mai and another one in Myanmar uh, reaching um, many in the Shan State and, uh, and also in other um, tribes there in Myanmar. And then a new school opening in January of 2021 in Uganda under uh, Prince uh, Wigwi out of Canada's uh, supervision there because he does a lot of ministry in Nigeria, Uganda. And this will also include students from Tanzania to there. So we're just really wow. Excited. That is real. Sorry, brother. I'm a bit slow. So you have to. Did you say that you are operating legal in Cuba? Well, according to Osmani, because he's he's a, a citizen, a resident, lived there his whole life. He's a former professional baseball player. So they use uh, the sports doorway to open the the uh, gospel to the nation they work outside of church walls they work with existing churches and many denominations to help uh, uh, spread the gospel so they average over 30,000 salvations a year in Cuba so your CMM is not recognized there in Cuba but then CMM in Cuba is recognized there as the school of theology and it's oh, under okay. the name of uh, honoring a father but um, you're you're able to have the classes for your students that are uh, furthering their education in the Bible. They're able to do that without going underground. Yes, that yes. is amazing. amazing, phenomenal. And I think, and, and, 
and let me let me ask you about Burma. Uh, you just talked about Myanmar. Uh, is is yeah. that legal or is that underground? Well, we're in the process of becoming registered there. We work with a, a great guy, David, Dr. David Joy, who's a medical doctor. He's 30 years old and just a true young general for the Lord working there. And he was called to leave the medical profession to go into ministry. And he is doing amazing work there in um, just uh, reaching the younger generation, has a real heart for the fatherless, because so many come from broken homes where uh, people have been involved in human trafficking, um, drug trafficking, uh, many coming out of addiction to opium or heroin uh, that are just being set free. And there are so many uh, fatherless um, youth there that they have a, a heart to reach both um, male and female with the love of God. And so he's just like a magnet for these young people that are looking for true, authentic love and he has a real father's heart. So uh, that's David Joy. And then in Thailand, we work with Dr. Prafan Nawat, who's uh, graduated from our school also. Um, he wants to meet you sometime. They all do. But they're just a great bunch of people from many different churches there in Thailand working together to get uh, their degrees and to build their churches. Many are pastors, although many times we do have students that have secular jobs and work in the marketplace in addition to those in ministry that are just really uh, hungry to grow stronger in the, in the Word and, and be filled with the Holy Spirit and uh, let the Lord lead them to bring transformation in their spheres and their cities and their nations. Well, it's, it is such a joy talking together with you, especially about this. We have, I know that we have people that are downloading this podcast every month from more than 110 different uh, nations. And so if somebody is in a, a different country listening to this podcast, we're actually, believe it or not, quite popular right now in Egypt and in Pakistan. So we have made it in those two nations for the month of May. We were actually in the iTunes top 10 downloaded podcast for the subject of not religion, not uh, Christianity, but spiritual uh, uh, religion and spirituality, which means that. Is that is on par with people that would anybody that would download anything in the that has to do with Islam would be a part of those podcasts. So any podcast that That's would be downloaded, yeah, I, I think so. But if there are people in you know whatever nation, whether it be listening to this from Egypt, listening to this from Pakistan, and they're thinking to themselves, I am a a, uh, a deacon. I'm a pastor, I'm a minister, I'm an evangelist, I'm, I am a new believer, and I would like to further my education in the Bible with, with complete, focused, biblical training. Um, where could they go to find out more about CMM? Sure, they can go onto our website at cmmtheology.org, and CMM stands for Christ Mandate for Missions. So the school website is cmmtheology.org, and our missions website is simple as cmm.world. Okay, so cmmtheology.org, you can go there mm -hmm. and look specifically for the different degrees that they offer, the different uh, 
courses and uh, areas of uh, study that they offer and see if this fits for you. The great thing about CMM is you don't have to be in America. You don't have to be where they have a brick and mortar school. You can do all of this study online. They have an amazing staff that will be able to assist you and walk with you uh, as you uh, try to learn more about Christ and earn your degree from a, an accredited institution, so uh, yeah. I'm 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 super I'm I'm super proud of the fact that uh, if I can use that word pride, I'm super proud of the fact and feel very fortunate to have been working together with CMM and to have gotten my degree from there. So I really thank you uh, for that. Um, but now well, I want to. You. We love your writing, and you've done an amazing job. Your dissertation was powerful. And I know it'll be a great book uh, once it hits the marketplace. And you're excited. We've added some new um, practicums that can work well with uh, ministries and interns and volunteers in their existing churches that they can earn credit hours towards their degree. And we've also added a new uh, section on supernatural identity because that's at the core. We need to know who we are in Christ Jesus so that we can really be understanding and walking in our gifts and our callings. You know, the scripture says, make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you will not stumble or you will not fail. And it's so important to have a firm foundation in in the word, and of course, know our supernatural identity of who Christ created us to be. And so we're just very excited about the new uh, developments and expansions that we have. We just earned a new accreditation last year, so we're also adding an MDiv degree. We're offering some studies in chaplaincy, helping with disaster relief, helping in times of crisis and um, humanitarian aid uh, situations where uh, that loving heart with the professional training and understanding to be a wise counselor can really help save lives and help people um, in their process of restoration because we're all acts of restoration by the Lord. Yes, we are. And the, one of the things that, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed about uh, CMM Theological Seminary is that you guys were pretty flexible around work schedules. And uh, even while doing this dissertation, I know that this might sound, uh, I, I want to be very careful how I, how, I, how I state this next part, because I don't want to uh, downplay anybody's suffering. I know that right now, because of the COVID-19, right now, because of the world economy, right now, especially in the U.S., as it pertains to the the uh, mass demonstrations and riots that have been taking place, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have lost their livelihoods. A lot of people have lost their life. So I don't want to. I don't want to uh, be light about that. However, for me personally. I remember when you and I were talking about me doing my doctorate degree and, and, and doing it kind of based off of the, the work that had already been done on the Chasing Revival series and basically taking that and putting it into a dissertation because of all the research. I mean, you had about um, six to eight years of research that went into that, that work. Uh, but I, once that was proposed, I really felt that I didn't 
I, I really felt that God wanted me to do something new, uh, not just to revise something that he already gave me, but there was something new that he had on my heart. So I brought that to you and said, would it be okay if I wrote my dissertation instead on back to Jerusalem? And you said, yeah, let's, let's do that. And, um, and the reason I wanted to do that, uh, if I can just take a, a minute here, is because there, were, there, there are pastors, pastors that are Chinese pastors, pastors that are very well known around the world. The, the pastor that comes to mind right now is, is a pastor from Beijing who wrote a book. He, he wrote actually his thesis on Back to Jerusalem. So he did his, I believe it's, it was his doctoral dissertation. I can't tell you for certain, but it was, it was his dissertation, whether it was for his master's or his doctorate, I'm not for sure. But I read the book. It's a very good book. But one of the things that he says in that book, which really struck me hard, which is back to Jerusalem as a vision, which he's a Chinese pastor in Beijing, and he has a vision for back to Jerusalem. But in his conclusion, he wrote, there is no biblical basis for the westward movement of the gospel for the Back to Jerusalem vision. We have this vision to complete the gospel, complete the Great Commission, but it is not biblically based with the idea that the gospel has gone westward. And I really wrestled with that because this is something that the, the Chinese believers that I work together with um, really strongly believe, though they cannot theologically defend it in an academic setting because they're not academics. These are farmers. These are simple individuals where God has given them a vision and the vision goes past their understanding, which I love. That's where I always want to be. I never want to be in a place where I think I fully understand the vision that God has given to me. I love that chase of the mystery when I don't know everything and I search deeper and harder to know more, knowing that I can't fully understand it. Anyway, um, you guys worked together with me as I went through the study. During this time of the coronavirus, I had a unique opportunity to basically sit down and every morning at least four to six hours of just study. I have so many different books I was going through. I had, I had left several books in Hong Kong that I didn't bring with me because my wife and I didn't know we were going to end up in northern Sweden. I mean, I'm still living right now. I'm, I'm going into month number six, uh, living with the same clothing that I took with me to the U.S. in January for one week. So I've been living with one week of clothing for the last six months. But one of the things that I that I loved is that I was able to do the study. And so I contacted our team in Hong Kong and said, would it be possible? for you to go to my house and look for this book and look for this book and look for this book and take photos of each page of every book that I'm giving you and send it to me. And then I took it and made it into a PDF file so I could go through and read the book even though I didn't have it here with me. I did several books that way so that I could do use them as a, a, uh, a source for the research of this book. And it was I have to say, I believe, and I know it might sound that I'm being a little bit over-spiritualizing things here, but I really do feel that the Holy Spirit was moving uh, through me during that time that I was doing the research. And it was, an, it was a great experience. Um, and you guys and your team went through each chapter of that dissertation. Uh, I submitted each chapter, which I'm not used to. I've never done that before in my life. Um, I don't like doing it. <laughs> I have to say what I usually do is I usually write 
parts of a chapter. So I've written many books in my, in my life, but what I usually do is I write bits and pieces and I come back to certain parts that are unfinished thoughts and I go to another part that is unfinished and then I bring it all together before I submit it because um, one of the things that I don't like to do is give people unfinished work because I'm a bit embarrassed with it and ashamed with it. But your staff and you, you guys made it so easy. Awesome. We love to do that. And, you know, we really um, have just been shown by the grace of God um, of, of how you know, many schools have been limited because it's not about memorizing facts and figures or memorizing scripture. It's about studying the word, studying history, which is so important, and theologians. But then the crucial crux of the matter is for the student to go into the presence of the Lord through prayer, fasting, devotion, worship, um, to get in the presence of, of the seven spirits of God to really receive fresh revelation so that those words for many students come flying off the page with fire and fresh revelation of what it means to their uh, being alive at this time and how the Lord would speak to them and how to use them to help bring, because the key is, and the goal is transformation of the individual and then to truly disciple every nation that the whole world would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen, brother. Amen. I love that. Hey, I know the time is limited um, just because I am calling you from a rural area. Up, I'm kind of up in the mountains and in the evening, our bandwidth starts to shrink. And my quality of the call is going to drop greatly. So I want to get to the focus of this podcast, which is to talk about your new book, one that has just been released called Journey into the Harvest. And one of the things that uh, you sent me a kind, I, I don't know if I have the final draft. I know that I have a draft and I read through it. And it's basically a testimony of your life, how God took you um, from being a, you know, a, a, a person that w went through your own trials and tribulations into the world as it was that many people could identify with, I think. And then from there uh, coming in to an encounter with the living God, transforming your life. What I particularly love is you, the, how God moves you into business. And now I knew about, before I read your testimony, I knew about your history of uh, real estate because I mean, that, that really brought in a lot of money for you. But I didn't know how broad your work experience was brother you've done almost everything there is to do when it comes to holding down a job <laughs> yes um and actually the um the original title was journey into the harvest but i changed it so the the finished title is into the unknown okay and um, okay basically there were minor changes lots of revisions and edits and grammar etc so you have the, I'll send you a final version again, so you see the updated one. But you know, I grew up in the Midwest, worked on farms a lot, grew up in a, a good Christian home. We went to a Methodist church. They were great people, but I don't remember anyone there in that church talking to me about the necessity of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and truly being born again. So as I grew up in the uh, the 60s and the early 70s and the turbulent times, rebellious times. I was 
I was rebellious and I was seeking. So I explored everything. You know, I rode freight trains. I hitchhiked. I worked on oil you were, rigs. You were, you were a hobo. <laughs> you were a hobo. A hobo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Singing yeah. Woody Guthrie songs. And, yeah, and, I was uh, reading I, I was reading your, your biography. And as you were talking, I was like, Dr. George was a hobo. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I still feel like a hobo. But the Lord watched over me by His grace, even before I acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior. You know, I didn't get saved until I was in my early 30s, had um, radical salvation. I'll never forget when that happened. I got saved with a preacher on TV. I laid my hand on the screen. But, you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and and I just give Him all the the glory and the praise and honor always, because it's only by his grace that any of us are here today to even Amen. hear this or to be speaking and participating in what the Lord is doing during these turbulent times when his glory will shine brighter and brighter in the days ahead. And so, you know, I was a, a meanderer and a wanderer, explored new age ideas. I was even in some uh, so-called cults and things like that. But the Lord had mercy and grace on okay, us. Okay, okay, I gotta, I gotta stop. I gotta stop you there because that is a very interesting. What, what cults? Can you expand on that? When, when you were younger, what cult did you get involved in? Well, um, some of the, one of them, I probably shouldn't say for the risk of a death threat. <laughs> so I think people can put that. <laughs> oh, those are the those then, are the most fun. It is the best to talk about the ones that you get death threats from. <laughs> and even in the last few years, I think about three years ago was the last time I got a death threat uh, by an email, and uh, a friend of ours on staff. Uh, was able to trace the IP address, and the phone call actually came from like two miles away from where we are here in Fort Mill, South Carolina. Then we traced that further back, and it came from a phony flooring company in Waxhaw, North Carolina, about 20 minutes from here, and it was basically a convert or die thing. But another cult I was in was like a fourth-way school type thing studying George uh, Gurdjieff, the writing of him about... Basically, it was through... Um, man's um, false efforts at thinking they could be self-perfected somehow through their own works or through their own thoughts, and that does not lead to salvation. So I experimented, I explored with other ways, but did not find true peace until I repented of my sins and asked Jesus to come into my heart, plain and simple. Yes, I'm here. Did until uh, so, I uh, asked, uh, repented, and asked Jesus into my heart. Did I not find true peace until then? Oh, you know. So it, that's how I. This this fourth way was that kind of like a Buddhist group, or a New Age group, or what was that? I I know that you were you you oh. said that it was based on the teachings of some guy I've never heard of before. But uh, what what is this fourth way? Yeah, it it was really um, um, uh, coming out of the Middle East. Um, I think he was uh, Armenian background and Russian descent, and he went on his journey through Asia in the 1040 window, looking for a higher way. And through so his his conclusion and his followers were that through personal transformation and awakenings, kind of like. The matrix, you know, the blue pill, the red pill, that you could have an awakening to know 
the truth and reality. Of course, that did not lead to that discovery. Um, and I think they're still around, but they were kind of classified as, as new age, although it did come out of the twenties and thirties and forties. Yeah. And what, what was the final, what was the thing that actually brought you to Christ? Can you tell us about well, that? Well, we had, we lived in uh, New England, and we had a, a, a false accusation against us and a, a really a frivolous lawsuit that was huge. I had never encountered like anything like that and um, paid a lawyer like $2,000 a month for two years and got nowhere and um, was near suicide because it was so shame. I felt so ashamed that some investors that I had talked into an investment had lost their money. And I had followed all the rules and the state rules that this product was approved from California. Maybe that should have triggered something in me that was from California. <laughs> I don't know. No, not, I love California. <laughs> but um, anyway, did everything according to the book um, and securities laws. And then these people uh, lost their money. And so their lawyers told them to sue everybody. I offered assistance. But, you know, the miraculous thing through that, my wife was very uh, faithful and encouraging to me at that time. And we moved from New England to Virginia during this time. And so finally we couldn't afford to keep paying the lawyer money to get nowhere. So I wrote a handwritten letter to the judge saying, I have given my heart to Jesus Christ. He is my defender I feel so bad about this. I'm, I'm willing to help the, um, the investors to recoup the money from the company out west. Um, but I'm, I'm innocent. I have a clear conscience about this. I've done nothing wrong, and I want to help make it right. Um, but Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I uh, am fired my attorney because I can't afford to pay them anymore, and I just put my hands in the hands of the Lord. Three weeks later... The judge writes back a typed letter saying, case dismissed. Wow. Which, which did, was not a surprise to me just because when you are an investor, I mean, you know how many times I've invested in stocks and companies and whatever. When you're an investor, there is, even if somebody tells you there's no risk, there is always risk involved. So when, 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 you know, when I saw that you had these, these people coming after you and you basically spending everything that you had in your life, um, I think at one time you said that you had to go and live with, uh, in-laws, uh, because you yes. basically all your money was gone. Um, we were just, almost homeless, actually. We were almost homeless. Yeah. And, and, but I mean. Whenever anybody makes, I was I was just amazed at how they had so much leverage over you because whenever I've made an investment, if that money gets, you know, if it's gone, if it vanishes overnight, I just accept that. I've never thought about suing anybody because I just accept that as, you know, a a, a risk. A, a, this is a calculated risk. I could lose everything in this investment. And, and this is one of the things that I don't get with like some of the um, some of the people right now that are calling for the equal distribution of wealth and people saying, well, you know, these company owners right now, there's a lot of factories and companies. I just saw another company today uh, moving out of Minneapolis because um, they're 
their uh, factory was destroyed and looted and uh, there was nobody there to protect them. And so they're going to move out of the city. And the protesters were saying when they were interviewing the protesters and saying, you know that these businesses will, will not be able to start back up. And if they are, they may leave. And they said, good, because they did not, uh, they were the ones making profit, not their workers. I'm like, what are you talking about? If when, yeah. the, when the workers walk away, they walk away with the money that they were given for payment. But with the, when the business owners put their money into that business, they've taken all the risk, 100% of the risk. They knew from the very first day that I can invest all of my money into this business and it may not work. In fact, as you probably know, as a business owner, nine out of 10 businesses do not work. Nine out of 10 investors that put money in every blood, sweat, and tears into their business simply does not work out. A majority of them don't work out in the first year, and uh, an even greater majority of them do not survive for 10 years. So uh, now you are seeing so many people who had put all their money and took all the risk and are losing you know, everything. And that's where you were. You were in a place where you were an independent individual uh, helping investors and you took the risk. And all of a sudden, everybody that put their money into you that lost their money, um, they came after you. They didn't get any of your money. Your lawyer got it all, uh, from what I understand. Um, And um, and (laughs) you walked away with that, that huge risk. But in the process, you found Christ. Amen. It was it was a beautiful experience, and and I really wouldn't trade any of it to happen any other way than it did because it brought me to my knees to acknowledge my weakness, and that's when Christ is strong, is when we are weak. And you know, um, it's it's even this COVID season. You know, the bigger plague is control and greed worldwide. And what I went through and I experienced this was back in the eighties when I had this. Um, frivolous lawsuit, which was very serious in my mind, because I had never been through like that. I'd always uh, done things right, had all the documentation that the investors were aware this was risk. But um, we're in such a litigious society in many countries around the world today. And then the other big plague is blame shifting. We, We think we're victims somehow, and it's somebody else's fault when really we don't understand about taking personal responsibility. And that's what made America great was that pioneering spirit that people were willing to risk it all for a better life as they moved west, as they um, took dominion over uh, the earth in America and made our country great. Um, That is all in danger now because people don't understand history. Uh, We fail to learn from the past and to think somehow that socialism is going to make it all better or equal, that's not ever been shown to work. Look at Venezuela, look at Cuba, look at Russia, uh, any country that has tried it. And, you know, our young people have been lied to and the younger generations by our public education system and secular colleges where um, they are just infiltrated with communist, socialist, uh, manifesto, Marxist ideas and, and now we're seeing the result of that. And to think that we're in a day where people are saying, let's defund the police and let's live in a society with no police. How's that going to work? They ought to do an experiment in each major city, I think, 
for two or three blocks and say, okay, in this little section here for the next month, there's no police. If you call the police at your house is getting broken to somebody's kidnapping your children, um, the police will not respond. And we'll see how well that experiment works. You know, brother, I think that that is exactly where the enemy wants us to be. I really do. I think the enemy doesn't want police so that they can move in their own policing forces. I believe that the enemy, especially those that are pushing for these atheistic uh, societies that are based on the idea of communism. I saw the same thing inside of China with the Red Guards, that the, the, the communists want to come in with their own kind of policing. And they're the ones that run it. The, 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 when you look at Sharia law societies, they don't want the local police interfering in their policing. They want to police their own society because they uh, want to enforce laws that they cannot get through legislatively. Uh, they, want to they want to push through laws as a minority uh, that they know the majority will not accept. And so they want to enforce it. Uh, one of the things that uh, I, I mean, for me, I'm actually living in a place right now with no police. I have never in the place where I'm at right now. I've, I've been coming here for 10 years. My wife and I built a small cabin up in the mountains here uh, about five or six years ago. And I have never seen a police officer in this area at all. I don't lock my doors. We go to bed every night with our windows open. Um, there's just the only danger around us is a, is a reindeer. But I kind of like the idea of arming myself. You come into my house, yeah. you're taking, you are taking a risk that you will leave alive. <laughs> because, uh, I, I, you know, I, I have ha been fortunate enough to get my training in the United States Marine Corps. I'm pretty good at having an accurate shot. <laughs> and if you come into my property and you come into my house, um, I feel like I have the right to protect myself. Uh, unfortunately, many of the people that are in the areas that we're talking about in the inner cities, many of them are, they, they have to go through a lot of hoops in order to arm themselves, in order to protect themselves. So they have no yeah. choice but to call the police. So can you imagine disarming a population and then removing the security blanket that you promised them? You promised them, you said, you don't need a gun. If somebody presents a clear and present danger to your life, you call 911. What, what's going to happen now when you call 911? There's nobody that there's, yeah. so, I mean, this is, this is a very interesting topic that I would love to discuss further, but I want to go back to your testimony because that's the, the, the book that you have written is about your life, how God took you from being a wild child, uh, getting into cult groups, uh, also finding yourself in a situation where you were basically, uh, without a pot to pee in or a window to throw it out. And then God takes you from that to basically being, you know, making multi, uh, several million dollars. I don't want to tell your whole story. I want to leave something, you know, for the audience to, to explore when they, when they buy the book. But you basically went from being poor to being a millionaire overnight. Yes. It was amazing. And, you know, it was really by uh, just being faithful in, in small things. You know, we, we, after we uh, gave our lives to the Lord in the in the in the eighties, uh, you know, we found a good church. It was like the Milk Church, but it was a great family, and that's where I met Helen Carell and Michael Carell, the 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 mom, the founder, co-founder of CMM, and her son Michael, 
we became friends with and supporters. And I remember meeting her the first time. Um, uh, she had just returned from around the world trip. And here's a lady in her late 80s wearing sneakers when the pastor called on her. And Helen Carell is just back from around the world mission trip. And she stood up, jumping up and down. She says, God is on the move in every nation. God is looking for available hearts to go out there and win the loss and share the good news. And she was just like a, um, a jumping uh, bubble of champagne or popcorn, bubbling up and down, just overjoyed at what the Lord is doing. And in her late 80s and had no idea of retiring, you know, and that just put a seed in me of uh, reaching out to the nations. You know, I was in business at the time. The Lord was really blessing us. We were faithful in church, faithful in tithing and sowing and reaping and raising our kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And um, then I was doing so well, like in 94, I was number seven in, in this big Fortune 500 company nationwide in Southwest Virginia, where we lived at that time. And I was being downsized. So then I got in, you know, as a defensive measure, I said, well, I need to do something. So the Lord led me into real estate and I ended up buying a uh, fire damaged house in a crack neighborhood. <laughs> and the first few houses I bought, my wife would say to me when I showed them to her, what have you done? We have small children. <laughs> I said, we have to have the vision to see. But over the next uh, seven or eight years, you know, we bought over 300 properties, and the Lord just would show me how to change the use or have a vision for it. And I made plenty of mistakes, but also we just reaped big rewards. We had a, a ministry of really helping people rebuild their credit. So we helped over 100 families who had bad credit. I was the bank for them, did lease options, rent to owns, showed them how to rebuild their credit, how to establish themselves. And so about 100 families were able to qualify for um, a mortgage of their own within a few years. And uh, we saw many salvations, healings, deliverances of, of all types through business. And then the Lord continued to pull me and draw me out. And I remember in early 95, the Lord speaking to me very clearly, I am calling you out. And I'm still discovering to this day in, in 2020, what does that mean that he's calling me out? But, you know, he speaks in a unique way to each of us. And many of us hear the, um, the still small voice more than we think we do. And he's just called us higher. That's why the Lord had me change the title of the book to Into the Unknown, and um, he just showed me a picture, you know, it reminded me of um, uh, in Acts 16, Apostle Paul was in Athens, and he says to the, to the Greeks, um, I see that you are a very religious people, and you have an altar to an unknown God, that's the God that I'm here to proclaim to you, and so my heart in this book, Into the Unknown, which is available on Amazon, Kindle, the paperback's coming out soon, um, is that whatever our background, we could be unchurched when we're younger, we could come to the Lord later in life, we could have been in established, organized uh, churches for our whole lives, but there is always more to know. Only Jesus Christ is perfect, and that we're all students. You know, and even Paul in his later life said that, not that I have attained, but I go to that high calling of Jesus Christ, you know, and it's a humbling process. It's a process of, of brokenness. You know, in, in the Apostle Paul's early life, he was boasting, I'm the chief apostle. By the time he's an older man, he said, I'm the least of the saints. 
And when we realize and recognize um, how great our God is and the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and that we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that we can be here on earth fulfilling his assignments and obedience and walking in faith and bringing joy to his heart every day, I pray. But we're also uh, in eternity now, and we can be in two places at once, and that's a lot to understand, to comprehend, to assimilate uh, who we are as joint heirs with Christ so that we can walk in the fullness of his joy, that we can walk in bold authority. You know, the last few years, Eugene, the Lord has had me, uh, or convicted me enough to repent that I, uh, Lord, forgive me for not walking in all the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's not um, anything that we can boast of. We can only boast in the Lord and what he made a way for us to do. But Christians need to take their rightful place, uh, uh, become aware of their supernatural identity, and that, you know, in Psalms 139.16, it says that all the days of our life are written in his book before the foundation of the world. So he wrote a script, a destiny for us to fulfill, and through the blood of Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have access that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he's he's waited, imagine that he's waited for this generation to be alive on earth at this time with all the intensity, the chaos, the darkness, and the static, for the glory, as we read in Isaiah 40, to shine brighter and brighter on our faces as we grow in intimacy to the Lord, that we can get as close to the Lord as we desire. He's not going to stop us and say, no, that's that's close enough, no more. If we hunger and we thirst to know him more, to, to, to explore his mysteries and the discoveries of the different realms and his dimensions and the heavenly beings and the angels, there's no end to the hunger and, and the, um, the beauty of his holiness that he wants to show us when we realize that, hey, we don't know it all. We know very little. In fact, the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that is just I'm in the same boat, brother. Absolutely in the same boat. So if you, I, if if you're listening to this podcast, let me encourage you to go on and, and get this book. It's called "Into the Unknown: The Miraculous Life of a Rambling Prophet." Uh, right now, Doctor George, if people are wanting to buy this book, where do they find it? Uh, they can go on Amazon. Uh, it's on Kindle right now. The paperback should be available on Amazon in just a few more days. Okay. And uh, surprisingly, the first day that it came out, it was number one in that category. So wow. Praise God. Beginner's look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen, brother. Well, again, if if you can go on to uh, Amazon or you can get on Kindle, Into the Unknown, The Miraculous Life of a Rambling Prophet. Thank you so much, Dr. George, for joining us, brother. It is always a pleasure. Hey, thank you, Dr. Eugene, and congratulations on earning your PhD degree a couple of weeks ago. We all love you and look forward to reading your books, and we love to partner with Back to Jerusalem in what you're doing because it is God's heart for this time, and we encourage the listeners to 
continue to support, pray for, and support, so into back to Jerusalem, because it's good soil, and they're doing some of the most amazing ministry that I know of in anywhere in the world. So thank you, brother, for, for your heart. And one last thing, if I could, Eugene, to close yeah, with please. this. Of, in our school, you know, that we really, we believe in people. And, and this year we've had some lively discussions as normal in our um, each class level, each degree level, and the different streams. So there's are those who are of the um, end times prophetic movement. There are those who are who are in the the Shaba moment of of basking in the glory of God and intimacy, and and then some in between of these two spectrums. But you know, uh, Jesus' last unanswered prayer in John 17 is that we would be one as He and the Father are one. So we allow the different streams to come together for these times because it's time for us to get over ourselves to realize that we do not know any anything that the Lord wants to show us. We know glimpses, we get the taste and samples, but there's so much more to know about him and it's his heart in preparing his bride is that we would become one. And how do we do that? It's by learning how to love, as our good friend Bob Jones would say, did we learn how to love? And how do we come together to look and not uh, judge people or be so critical of each other, but ask the Holy Spirit to show us, Lord, what did, what did you put in this person's life, this individual's life? What do you want me to discover that I can speak life and hope and faith into the life and to be like Apostle Paul? And his heart is our heart, to see everyone complete in Christ. How can we help them become all that the Lord created them to be, that we believe in our students? I think that's one of the issues that helps sets us apart from the typical school. Mm, Amen. Thank you, you, brother. God bless you. And until we talk again, and send my my love to your wonderful wife as well. Yeah, and you too to your family too. Bless you. Thank you. And I want to thank you for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.